This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Praise the Lord. As you can see, we have white and black all across this room, shirts that is, uh, just so you're, uh, we're, we're, we're displaying, displaying, I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to rob from you. Trenton, where'd you get your sweatshirt? That's really cool. Jesus. Jesus. Today we get the privilege and honor to team teach. Uh, what, a, what a privilege it is to be able to teach with my son. Uh, you know that we both can do this individually, and uh, so we're praying that we can get it done in less than an hour. Yeah. And we'll be ready for we, next campus. you want to tell people how long your outline was? <laughs> Yesterday morning, you, ch- you chopped it down today. I had 17 stinking pages. Uh, that's between both of us. That was double space. Mine's 11 single space. I didn't chop anything out, so it's fine. But that's right. Anyway, connect groups. Rhonda already said it, but make sure you're, you, you step into that, and then I'll pass to you. Transition. Sorry. Yeah, I only have two people in my connect group, uh, five total if you count Allie and Ollie, my dog. So I'm a little <laughs> bit offended. So if anybody wants to join my small group, feel free. Pastor Trent, you can find me on there, yeah. Pastor Rhonda, Pastor Kevin, and Pastor Rhonda. Otherwise, I'll just have to talk to myself in a mirror, which I probably already do. But, okay. (laughs) Anyway, if you didn't notice, when you walked in today, there's some merchandise. Come on, who's excited for merchandise, yeah? For our online audience to see, right? It looks nice and pretty. Anyway, um, today, we want to, in honor of that, give a couple free items away. So, the first thing we're going to do today is whose birthday is in January? Raise your hand. All right. So, who is closest to the ninth? All right, Rachel, come up here. You get a free sweatshirt or a crew neck. You you choose. All right. All right. This next one's going to be nice and challenging. I need someone to bring me a shoelace out of their shoe. Shoelace out of your shoe. Who's committed? Who wants free merchandise? Five, four, three, two. Anybody? No one's even moving. No one really wants it. No one cares. If you're not wearing shoelaces, I'm sorry. Dude, no one's. Okay. Okay. Nathan. Let's go, yes. Nate. You're, hey, you're, you're good. You're good. You're good. No one else is doing it at this point. So here you go. You get, you get a free mug and a free sticker. So give it up for Nathan. Just so you can see, we're displaying a sticker up here, um, online audience. There will be um, photos posted on our social media today of the rest of the merchandise. If you want something, contact our church office, and we'll figure out what that's going to look like. Let me say that if you buy merchandise today, would you tag us? Yes. Take a, self, take a and selfie and put it on Instagram and tag us. Would you do that? would be fantastic. Yes. All right. How many people are actually excited about merchandise? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. We uh, have spent a couple months doing this. This has been a long time coming, so we're excited to um, release this. But anyway, I'd encourage you to buy something, not only just to support the church, but also to wear it. If you notice, on every item, there's nothing about church or God on it. That was intentional because we want this to be conversation starters. So bring a mug to your work, unless you work online, put it in your Zoom call really specifically then or something. Um, wear, wear a sweatshirt so people go, hey, what is that for? And you can tell them, like, hey, this is my church. Like, it's an opportunity. And I don't know about you, but in the world we live in, I need opportunities to bring up Jesus because I don't do it enough. So, and you can't expect people to be excited about church and Jesus if you're not, right? Are you excited about church? All right. Anyway, today we're kicking off a brand new four-week series called 1232. Say 1232. I thought it was XXII colon XXXII. Be quiet. You know what it is. Don't do that to me. Uh, how many people are curious what 1232 is at this point? Anyone? Okay. No one's curious. I guess we'll just move on. No. Um, anyway, we're, we're going to unveil that in a moment, but I'm excited for the series for a number of reasons, partially because I love New Year's sermons. Every year, I was thinking back this week, every year... Um, that I can remember since 2008, we have gone through some sort of a theme or idea for the new year, something that we can rally around as a church, something we can adopt, something that we, we cannot let challenge us, something that we together can, can pursue personally and as a community. And so th- today we're going to be unleashing 1232, and it was funny because we were talking this morning actually because like I wrote down some of the other themes for the year, like Elevate, Anchored was last year, Open My Eyes, Divine DNA, does anyone remember those? Um, and PK and me were talking, and he was talking about how the first year, 2008, when he was lead pastor, he did Thresholds of Opportunity. So I'm about Joshua. Does anyone remember that? If you were here, raise your hand. 
Okay, one person is fine. Two people, I think. Um, anyway, uh, so we're excited for that. And honestly, I just want to say this before we unveil what 1232 is. I, I, my heart cry, my heart's prayer, I think our heart's prayer, is that this, this theme, even though it's going to only be a four-week series, would be a theme that sticks with Relevant Life Church until, until the end. Until the end of Relevant Life Church, whenever that is, that this would be a pillar that we build on. Because it's foundational to who we are, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But I pray that you posture yourself right now to take in the information we're going to be giving you and let it impact and change your heart. So with that being said, why 1232? I'm going to give you the long way around this. So the, the big reason, the in-depth reason for 1232 is because um, it's, it's a simple symbol that represents a complex idea. Okay, a simple symbol that represents a complex idea. Um, in other words, what we want to do is we want to give you guys a tangible thing to look at that when you see this symbol, 1232, whether it's on a sticker, on the sweatshirt, on the screen, you see it, you have a, a, a detailed story, a detailed thing in your mind that pops into your heart. Does that make sense? In culture today, we do this all the time. Whether you realize it or not, we are, there's symbols all over culture. And so I'm actually going to show you what I mean today by giving you a couple symbols on the screen. So will you throw that first one up there for me? So I'm going to throw a symbol up on the screen. I'm going to say what it is. Well, this one, I'm going to say what it is. You're going to say what it is in a second. And then you're going to tell me what it represents. So for example, I would say Starbucks and then I'd say coffee. Does that make sense? Now your head, that makes sense. Okay. So throw that next one up there, Sass. Shoes. Okay. Next one. Some people might say the Antichrist, but it's fine. Okay. Next one. (laughs) Next one. Jordan. And who else? The goat? Come on, people. It's Michael Jordan. All right, go to the next one. Uh, I was checking how to check your, like, your theology on that one. Okay, next one. <laughs> Cra- <laughs> crashing computers. Amen. All right, next one. Alex, I'm surprised you weren't louder on that one, bro. Come on. Any people play PlayStation in here? Any people try to buy a PS5 and it's just really expensive? Yep, I gave up. Okay, next one. And what else? Brittany's face encompasses it. Heart, depression, heartbreak, everything, right? Okay, next one. Okay, next one. Electric vehicles. Okay, I think that's it. That's it. All right. So rhetorical question this morning. How, How did we know these things? Like, just think to yourself, how did you know these items? And like, how did you know what they represent? Like, just think about it. Because you're immersed, you're immersed every single day seeing these different symbols. People brand objects with symbols. Um, there's logos on signs as you drive by. Symbols mean something deeper. And for each and every one of these symbols, each and every one of you probably has a personal example. Maybe at Starbucks you went on a date with someone. Uh, whether it was buying a pair like, of Nikes, it was your first Nikes, right? There's these different things that we correlate when we see a symbol. So again, when we chose 1232, our hope is that from now on, you would see 1232 after this message and you you would go, I see a symbol that represents something deeper. And what does that represent? It represents our identity as a church, and it represents, more importantly, your identity as a follower of Jesus. And we're going to explain that today, but I want you to grasp that. So when you see this, I want you to think identity. Identity of the church, identity of, of, of me as a believer, my responsibility as a believer. And so the title of the message today is, What Does Relevant Life Even Mean? Turn here and say, What Does Relevant Life Even Mean? I don't know. You're supposed to tell us. Anyway, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. God, I just thank you for today. God, I thank you for these moments. God, I just pray that you would give us the words to say. God, I pray that hearts would be prepared to hear this message. God, this message is not necessarily a hoorah, pick me up. It's a, it's a teaching on our responsibility, God, as, as followers of you guys. More importantly, as people as a part, uh, that are a part of this community and church. So I pray that this would sink deep, God, that this would become a pillar and a heartbeat and a foundation for us. In Jesus' name, everyone said. So just real quick, raise your hand really high. How many people have attended Relevant Life Church since 2008, at least? 2008. It's a pretty good majority. Okay. So in February 2008, actually, let me throw this other picture up on the screen. This picture I found a couple years ago in my office um, in a file cabinet, and this is old. Like, the office is not even connected to this. Do you know what year this was? This had to have been 1977, 78. Was anyone here that long? Franny back there. Okay. Franny, did you build the office end? By yourself? Did you build the office end by yourself? 
Yeah, I bet. I believe it. Um, so anyway, this is an old school photo. If you can tell, there's no windows on our South Campus now except for a few little ones. Like there's an office end on that side. Everything looks different. I just wanted to throw that up there for fun so you can get a visual. So anyway, in February 2008, our church, a church that had been established since 1956, so 52 years at the time, right, 66 years now, um, made a transition. And that transition came with the name change. And if you're here, you probably remember it better than me because I, like, I think I was like right before junior high or just starting junior high. And in this transition, the name went from Calvary Temple to Relevant Life Church. And that might in some ways be a peculiar name. Some of you still might not know why we named our church Relevant Life Church. But that name was inspired by a seemingly insignificant passage of Scripture found in First Chronicles, guess what, 1232. 1232. So that's why we call the series 1232. Okay, so when you see 1232, it's based off of a scripture that caused us to change our, our church name to Relevant Life Church. And so we want to unpack this passage of scripture. The goal of the series is we're going to dive into that passage of scripture today. And then over the next couple of weeks, three weeks, we're going to look at supplementary examples in scripture that show us what living relevant life means. Because there's a lot of connotations and things that go along with relevant life. And we want to explain why we named this in the first place. So how many people here like know the reason behind why we named our church Relevant Life Church? How many people knew we had a, a core verse that went along with our name? See, that's why we're doing this. So we realized the vast majority of our church probably didn't know the in-depth reason, so we want to take time to do that. So we're going to start today um, by kicking things off by asking the man himself, what did that name change look like? Um, why did we change the name? What did, that, what did all that look like 14 years ago? Wow. Uh, isn't this a great picture here? This takes you back a little bit. I didn't see this. Rhonda would have seen this when she first came. Yeah, right. Uh, why did we, why did we uh, change? What did it look like? You know, as we go back to then, I go back and re we realized at that moment there was a transition from one, one leader to another leader. There was also a transition of what we were foreseen as a church that needed to, to, to to differ and to change. It was a new era. It was a new time. We, there was a lot of things that were um, needed to be rebranded, needed to be freshened up. And so we took this big, huge step into changing the name. And uh, we changed it partially because Calvary Temple, anybody, you, know, you go back this generation, younger generation, they're going to go, what does Calvary Temple even mean? Calvary, what is that? Uh, if you're a believer, no, Calvary represented the hill on which Christ died. Uh, many people even, if you remember, if you were part of, a, part of the church at that time, thought that we were the cav cavalry, uh, which rode horses. Uh, so there was this confusion between cavalry and ca cavalry. Uh, we were also a temple, and so people thought that we were part of the Mormon temple. And so there was just a lot of confusion about the name, and we realized that we needed, as we were shifting culture, as we were shifting leadership, we needed to shift the name so that there would be a greater understanding. Why Relevant Life Church? Why, what did this look like 14 years ago? Well, it took a lot of prayer and a lot of, a lot of asking of our leadership team. We had people submit names. And I can tell you, we were very, very adamant that we did not want Christianese. Uh, now, I'm not going to knock churches that have Christianese in them, but we were definitely wanted to have the name church in the title, because that's who we were. We, we didn't want to like oversee it to be a community center or something like that. We wanted to be a church because we wanted to represent what a church represented. Uh, as we began, we wanted to declare something about us, something, something hopefully that we could ascribe to and something that we needed to reach towards. And if you remember in 2008, we were the furthest thing from relevance. Anybody remember the furthest? I mean, back, let, let me paint a picture for you in 2008. We still had an overhead projector. Uh, we still had someone standing on, on the stage putting those transparencies for songs. As a little kid, that uh, was like the job. I wanted right. to do that. <laughs> he wanted to aspire to the overhead guy. big deal. Yeah. Uh, we still had pews at that time. Uh, we still had paneling in the building. We had a lot of things that just were not relevant. Uh, we were still wearing suits at that time. Uh, if you remember the day, we still had two and a half hour services. Uh, we had a lot of visitors that would come through even in the transition in 2008, but I can tell you that people would come, but they wouldn't stay. They wouldn't come back, partially because we were not relevant technologically. We were not moving with the times. You know, one of the things that we realized is that the gospel was always relevant. The gospel was a message that was a powerful message, but if people wouldn't come into the building, we couldn't reach them with the message. How many know that? If we, if we don't live a life that's relevant, we can't reach people because we're not 
pertinent to their circumstances. And so it's so important uh, that we, we, we see that. Uh, we already knew that Jesus was relevant, as I said. We already knew that his salvation was, was there and it was right directly accessible to us. But we had to figure out how do we present this message, present ourselves in such a way that was relevant to the people outside our walls. How do we get them to come back in? How do we get them to come in to see us? And so we realized that uh, Relevant Life, that the name change was necessary, pertinent, imperative, and we named it Relevant Life Church. Uh, from that point on, it has always been a tension. It has been a challenge. It's never been something that we have uh, arrived at. How many know that relevance is a moving object? And today, when we talk about this idea of relevance, we're not talking about flashy lights. We're not talking about the latest and greatest and everything, even though we would like to have all of those things. Uh, we realize that the atmosphere, if it's not relevant, people aren't going to come and they're not going to stay. And so we know that that's important. So this has been a great challenge. Um, and one of the things that we've questioned ourselves with many times is, can we even be relevant? Can we be relevant? Can we even jump this gap? And is relevance compromise? Are we going to have to compromise to be relevant to our culture? Uh, it's been a challenge. It's not something that we've, that we've thought of lightly or we think of lightly. When we prepare for a message and we plan for an outreach, we step back and we pray to go, God, how can we make this the most God-centered aspect, but how do we make it relevant to the people that need you? How do we, how do, how do we figure that out? Um, what is quite obvious in our culture today, what is quite obvious as a pastor, what is quite obvious as a leader in our network is that I'm, I'm observing, we're observing churches that are extremely growing, extremely irrelevant to their, to their communities, extremely unnecessary in a sense. We know they're necessary, but the community looks at them and goes, well, why are they even there? They're just taking up space, um, and I've read and heard so many different stories all throughout American history. You know, I remember the stories, I hear the stories, I've looked at enough history to remember that the church back in the beginning of America was a place that everybody gathered at. It was a recognizable location. It was someone that people ran to. It was multi-use. It was not just a Sunday morning thing. It was the schoolhouse, and the pastor that was pastoring was someone who was highly respected. And if we can look back and we look at our culture today, can I tell you that much of the church that you and I know, you may not feel this way, but the perspective of our culture looks at us and despises us. They look at us and go, We're, you're not necessary. What are you in, how are you any different than us? Why are you even here? I can tell you that as the office of pastor uh, in th almost 36 years of ministry, uh, the perspective of being a pastor has changed, of what people view me as and how they view me. And, and that, that's, that's difficult. I want to give you a few stats this morning. Uh, the, the United States Census Bureau records this, gives us some Christianity losing its relevance. Every, every year, uh, more than 4,000 churches close their doors compared to just over 1,000 new, new, new church starts. Every year, 2.7 million church members fall into inactivity. Think about that. 2.7 million church members fall into an activity, meaning they don't come to church, or if they come to church, they don't minister, they don't serve. Can I tell you, I don't have the statistic for what COVID has done, but that is, I, I'm sure it's doubled it, if not tripled it, in what we're seeing. At the end of 1999, there was a ratio of 27 churches per 10,000 people. Currently, where we're at right now, there, there is amount of 10 churches per 10,000 people. Can you see the amount of, 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 of loss that we've had? Given the declining numbers and closures of churches as compared to new church starts, there, uh, there, should, there should have been over 38,000 brand new churches commissioned to keep up with the population growth. So right now, we're, we're digressing in churches, and we needed 38,000 more churches to keep us up with the population growth. The United States now ranks, ranks third following China and India in the number of people who are professing Christians. In other words, U.S. US churches, US, the United States of America is now in, in, in line with a third world country in, a co in context of, of following God. A nation that was built upon this concept of who God is. And I come back and so I ask you this question. 
Is relevance, is relevance possible? Is relevance doable? As we begin to look at the decline in churches, we can see that there's a great stark between what should be and what reality is. Rather than feeling this pressure to adapt to a dark culture, which many churches are feeling, which honestly we have felt the pressure to adapt to the darkness of our culture, to just align with what's going on, to soften our message, to uh, uh, have more fluff rather than teaching and, and, and clarity. But we have to come back to what are we called to? What are we directed by? And what I think I find most encouraging, encouraging and find most confidence in is a passage of Scripture that you're familiar with in Matthew 16, 18. It says, I will build my church. Jesus says, I will build my church. Can I tell you today that even though we're on the, we're on the church building team, say I'm on the church building team. Jesus is the one that builds the church, and he's the one that we follow, and that's where we find our encouragement. That's where we find our confidence today. In 1956, the organization Calvary Temple began in a house across the street from, from what we now call Relevant Life Church, our main campus. The house is no longer there, but the pastor, as he came, I've had many conversations with him. The pastor, when he came, he came knowing at that moment in 1956 that that church was called with purpose, was called with a passion, was called with a message, was called for the right time and the right place, and he was called for the south gate of Salem because there was not many churches in that neighborhood. And I come today and I tell you this, that church that was called in 1956 is still called today in 2022. This church today, here, this location has always been a church, and it is now called to Relevant Life Church, our second campus, East Campus, but it's called with purpose. It's called on purpose. But I can tell you this, that a venue and methods, whether they began in 1956 or 1970, is not going to be appealing tonight into 2022. And that's why we've done what we've done. That's why we knew that we've had to step in to step in and go, how do we become relevant? Let me define this word relevance here for you. Uh, closely connected, appropriate to what is being done or considered, appropriate to the current time, appropriate to the period, appropriate to the circumstances. And I'm going to give you another one here just to kind of sum it up really quickly. Being relevant is this, recognizing the differences of the times and cultures, and responding to those differences in a practical, practical and applicable way. So our job, our responsibility at Relevant Life Church is to step back and go, what are the differences between the times and the cultures? What are the differences between the culture and the church? And step in and go, what do we need to do to figure out how to bridge the gap so people can hear the message of Christ? One of the major questions that our culture is asking us today is this very question. Maybe you've heard it asked, is Christianity even relevant today? Is Christianity even relevant today? Is Christ still relevant today? Our culture is looking at you and they're looking at me and they're going, are you even relevant today? Are you even needed today? What does that cause you to feel? And I guess I would even come back and ask this, you as a Christian, I'm going to be really direct this morning, is the church of Jesus Christ relevant to you in your life today? And if it is, where are you in the chairs? If it is, where are you in the serving? If it is, where are you in your giving? And you're saying, Pastor Kevin, that's harsh. That's the tension and the challenge. Because if it is, if we can say, yes, Relevant Life Church, yes, I'm part of this movement, then it needs to be relevant to us. And we need to live in such a way as it's relevant. And the right. truth that you and I can embrace today, the truth that I want to leave you with is this very fact. God is relevant to all people. He's relevant to you. Say, God's relevant to me. God's relevant to your circumstances. God's relevant to all people. He's all relevant to all generations. He's relevant to all circumstances. And the amazing part about this, the most amazing, significant part about this is God's Word. Still God's Word. The 66 books of God's Word are still relevant to your life, to every crisis, to every question, to every social issue. And can I tell you, that gives us hope. Does that not? But the tension that's there. It's a tension that we have to manage. It's a tension we can't eliminate. It's a tension that we have to go, how do I bridge this gap of culture and Scripture? How do I bridge this gap and stay relevant, most importantly, to God? But how do I stay relevant to a people that God's called us to reach? Mic drop. 
Um, yeah, so I, I, I couldn't say it better. I, I really think like at the end of the day, this is a tension we all have, have to wrestle with. And the reason why this, this message specifically is so, it's been weighing on my heart so heavily and made me so excited is because not only did we claim as a church to carry relevant life, but like every believer should as well. So like, there's like a dual responsibility. Like we could have named ourselves like, I don't know, like lazy church. And like, we could have lived up to that. Right. But like, no, we, we claim relevant life church. So like, we cannot claim to be something and not aim to like, and aspire to be that as well as Jesus did not call you to be like irrelevant. He called you to be relevant. And at like, at the end of the day, the beauty, beauty of it is, is like, Jesus is always relevant. So the way you carry him is what has to be relevant because Jesus, like as long as people meet Jesus, they're going to recognize he's relevant. But are you carrying him in a way that they realize he's relevant? Does that make sense? So we all have to, we all have to ask this. Are we relevant? Can we re- re- be, re- uh, be irrelevant? What is happening? Can we be relevant? Um, are we irrelevant? I can speak. Um, like, d- does it mean we have to compromise to be relevant? And so, like, I I want to today look at our passages of Scripture. We both do um, this this church verse, and we want to look at how that that verse and the context of that verse lays it out for us. This this pattern, this three step process of how every person every day should be relevant, and that's our goal today. So, if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles if you have a physical copy or on your phone to First Chronicles chapter ten. I'm going to read only eight verses this morning and kind of skip through ten, um, a little bit of a and a little bit of 12. And we're going to kind of see the context of what this is writing, um, what the chronicler was writing. But before we do that, I want to give you three things that you need to know or you should want to know because when I was researching, I geeked out because there's like so many cool things I figured out. So I'm going to share three quick things this morning before we read this passage of scripture, hopefully give you this overview, okay? So the first thing you need to know is where Chronicles was written in regards to the Old Testament history timeline. Say timeline. So if you don't know, the Bible's total 66 books, right? 66 books split in the Old Testament, New Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, all right? If you look in your English Bible, if you have it on your phone, you're on version, or you pull up uh, or pull out your Bible and you look, 13 and 14, the, those, the books into the Old Testament, you find the Chronicles, all right? 13 books in. This is extremely misleading, and I want you to understand that this morning, because if you're reading in order in the English Bible, it's out of chronological order. And what I mean by that that is it's not in sequence with when things actually fell in historical timeline. So if you, you pick up your Bible and you read from Genesis, you start reading through and you come to Chronicles, you're going to go, I just read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and Chronicles is just repeating that material with a couple add-ons. Why am I reading this again? Does, has anyone done that? So it's, it's confusing. It's misleading. What I want you to know is it's because Chronicles in the English Bible is not placed where it should be chronologically. It's actually one of the last books written in the entire Old Testament. Right? So like, and a lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that. And so what I want you to understand is like, that's, that's powerful to the context of what we're going to read, hopefully. And so, and it's funny because the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Bible actually has Chronicles at the end of their Bible, um, unlike our English Bible, but it's fine. Um, so that leads to the second thing. So where was it written? Why was Chronicles written? Okay. Why was Chronicles written? If you take a quick um, overview of the entire Old Testament. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go around a thousand years, okay? You're going to see creation. You're going to see God come to Abraham and say, Abraham, I'm going to make you a chosen nation. You're going to see this nation um, find themselves in, in Egypt in slavery. You're going to see God raising up someone to deliver them. You're going to see these people head to the promised land. They're going to enter the promised land. And I'm like, I'm flying through this, but this is over hundreds of years, okay? They enter the promised land. They find themselves in this, this, this cycle of sin, um, consequence, repentance, coming back to God, right? Sin, and like over and over again. Sin, um, repentance, coming back to God. Over and over again, they keep doing this. Finally, they come and go, God, can we have a king? And when they asked this, in a way, and I preached on this actually like last May, I think, but in a way, they were saying, we're rejecting God as our king. So anyway, God gives them King Saul. Saul fails miserably, and God says, I'm going to raise up for me a man named David. David puts um, the nation of Israel back on track in a lot of ways, but long story short, they end up falling back into the same sin cycle, and they end up in exile in foreign nations, okay? And this is like towards the end of the Old Testament, all right? At the end of the Old Testament, we see that the Israelites are told they can go back to Israel, their nation, back to where they're at. And so that's why what Chronicles was written. It was actually written, the chronicler was going, 
This people that is downcast and broken and falling apart needs to remember God's faithfulness and goodness. So he starts from Adam in creation and goes all the way up until when they leave. So if you read First and Second Chronicles, that's what it is. It's just a flyby overview of all those events. Okay, does that make sense? So third thing you need to know is what portion of Chronicles we're about to read. So the portion of Chronicles we're about to read where we find our church verse is found in the time period when the nation was, was broken down. It was divided. They were um, coming off a civil war between the house of Saul and the house of David, right? Saul has died at this point, but his, his followers are still fighting for the kingdom. And so when we read First Chronicles, we're seeing the end of that tension. These men come to David and say, David, we want you to take over this kingdom. We feel like, that, feel like that's what God is calling us to. So hopefully that makes sense. So we're going to read First Chronicles chapter 10. It says, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord even, uh, and even consulted a medium for guidance. He did not inquire of the Lord, so the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to the David, son of Jesse. All Israel came together to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, even while Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord your God said to you, You will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will become their ruler. So they're recognizing God told them this. It says, When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, he made a covenant with them at Hebron, Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel as the Lord had promised through Samuel. Skip into verse 23 of chapter 12. These are the numbers of men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. Okay, and then the chronicler starts listing all these groups of men. This is where we find our church verse, verse 32. But it says, a group of men from, from Issachar, men who understood the times, knew what Israel should do. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind to make David king. So you're like, okay, so how does this apply to me? Because like we don't have kings, like this, is, this does not make a whole lot of sense. What I want you to understand is that in this flyby overview, okay, hundreds of years after this event was actually lived out, the chronicler notes a group of 200 men called the uh, men of Issachar, okay? And he says one statement about them, like tombstone legacy statement. They were people who understood the times and they were people who knew what to do. And that's, that's relevance. And so what we wanna look at today is we believe that in this powerful statement, the context surrounding it, there are three things that, that they teach us of what relevant life is, okay? So we're gonna give you three things. So the men of Issachar teach us that relevant life means, first of all. Number one, understanding the times. Number one, everyone say understanding the times. As we see in verse 32, it says that they understood the times. The intention of this verse seems to be that the men of Issachar had some skill in discerning the meaning of the current political and cultural events resulting from shrewd, shrewd observation. The chronicler, as he comes, he's including this statement about each group. He comes and he dialogues each group. One, some of them are, are gifted in fighting. Some of them are gifted with swords and all these sorts of things. And he begins to describe each one. And he comes to this group of men in Issachar, and he describes them as men who understood the signs of the times and the best course, course of action to take. As Trenton said, how many would love that to be on your tombstone? How many would you be able, would like people to be able to go back and go, no, they understood and they, they, they knew the appropriate things, the measures to take. In this passage of scripture, the sons of Issachar understood the predicament that Israel was in. They realized that the nation was in division and destruction. As a result of Saul being where he was and David where he was, there was destruction, there was division. Uh, they, were, they were able to see the poor leadership of Saul and, and the turmoil and the pain that he created and caused as a king. They realized that they needed to usher in a new king. They realized that David had been anointed, and they were trying to figure out how do we understand this opportunity, and how do we know how to handle it? How do we know how to usher him in? This word understand that we see in this passage of Scripture in the dictionary, our common dictionary, is to perceive or to discern. To perceive or to discern. To perceive or discern what? Simply put, they were to understand history, they were to understand what was taking place currently. They were to understand what was to take place in the future. What an amazing ability for individuals to be able to step in and to observe. Uh, they were able to decipher what was taking place. Anybody here today wish that you could understand the times that we're living in right now? I mean, anybody here understand 2022? Anyone understand 2021? Anyone understand COVID? You know, I mean, as we step back, how many would like to understand the circumstances? 
How many would like to understand not just to, to be able to decipher it, but to be able to know how to live your life tomorrow and the next day and the next day, right? It's caused a lot of disruption. But the challenge in our understanding is that so many Christians, Christ followers, fall into two categories. In this confusion, in this aspect of relevance, they strive to be relevant, and uh, I'm going to place them into two categories. They're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. How many have heard that statement before? They're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. They're so focused on God that they have forgot the mission that Christ has given them to live on this earth. Can I tell you today, if you're living and breathing today, if you're living and breathing, raise your hand. If you're living and breathing today and you're a Christ follower today, the reason that you're still living and breathing is because Christ left you here on purpose to live and to breathe, to testify of his goodness, to carry out the purpose of his church, to be relevant to a culture that needs a relevant God revealed to them, understanding the times. The second extreme that we have is that you're so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. Can I tell you, in the middle of all these things, as we see this, as we look across our world, we can go, no, they're too heavenly minded and they don't care about culture. They don't care about the people in their community. They're in their little tribe. They're in their little group. Us for no more. And wave the flag for Jesus is going to come soon. And then we have these people that are living so earthly minded that are Christ followers that show up once a year, maybe once a month, maybe never, but yet I'm a Christ follower. There's, well, I need to relate to my culture, and I want to go, are you relating to Christ? Well, Jesus know you when you see him on judgment day. And so where's this sweet spot? Where's this place that we come to to find the middle ground to go, I've got to be heaven-focused, but I've also got to be earthly-focused. I've got to be heaven-targeted. That's my goal. That's my destination. But how am I focusing this pl- on this planet to take people with me? The Hebrew word here for understand is binah, and to have insight and to act with prudence. To have insight and to act with prudence. It comes from a Hebrew word that means to separate something mentally and to distinguish its parts. Can I tell you today, as believers, we have a responsibility to assess our culture, to assess Scripture, and to separate it mentally to know where we need to live, to know where we need to behave, to know what's right, and to know what's wrong. In other words, when the Bible says that the, Issachar, that the sons of Issachar understood the times, it means that they took a skillful analysis of what was going on around them. They studied it, they thought it through, and they became determined to become part of the solution. And I want to ask you today, are you stepping back going, phew, I'm just, I just want to be Christ-like. Are you stepping back to know God left you here on a mission to be able to impact? And are you stepping back to go, no, I want to be part of the solution. How many want to be part of the solution? I want to be part of the solution for our culture, for our community. This word understand brings us to a New Testament word, and that word is discernment. We've all heard the word discernment. When we talk about discernment, we can see it as a gift of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 12, where he gives the gift of discernment. This word discernment is to perceive or recognize, to distinguish by sight or other senses. Sight or other senses. So we're, God says, I want to give you this ability to understand your culture as you view your culture, as you walk the streets, as you watch the news, as you encounter people, that with your eyes that you're going to be able to see and understand, not only with your eyes, you're going to have these other senses that are going to work. How many are Spider-Man fans? Some of you here. Some of you need to have those Spidey senses. The Holy Spirit senses, all right? And that's where our goal is today, is that you come and go, God, Holy Spirit, I need to be more aware. The Holy Spirit, gift of discernment, that gives this ability to distinguish and evaluate and to judge, not with human understanding, but with supernatural understanding. Their ability, as we look at these these, uh, men of Issachar, their ability to discern the times and seasons was an incredible advantage. Think about it. Can you think of the advantage that you and I would have if we were like these men, like we were like this tribe that we understood and we knew? Their ability, I want to just show you real quickly. Their ability was this, that it gave them inside knowledge to what God was doing. History was taking place. Reality was taking place. Present was taking place, and it didn't catch them off guard. How many were caught off guard in 2020 when COVID hit us? Next one is they had influence as a result of their unique ability, and they also knew what Israel should do. We have this 
calling upon our lives that we need to step in and go, God, how do I understand at a greater place? Philippians chapter 1, verses not, verse 9 through 10 says this. Paul prays this prayer. It's a prayer that I want to pray over you this morning. He said, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. I, we all need a greater love, right? Do we not? But what I want to focus on is this next, next phrase, with knowledge and all discernment. God, help us to love with knowledge and discernment. Help us to love with knowledge and discernment. And it goes on in verse 10, and this is why. So that you may approve what is excellent. So that you may be able to step back and evaluate culture. That you may be able to step back and go, God, with discernment, this is right, this is wrong. How do I stand and be part of the solution? And so, so, and so to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Can I tell you this? Every generation, every age needs people of Issachar. Every age, every, every new era needs people of Issachar to hear and to understand what God is doing. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray over you. God, today in the name of Jesus, we need discernment. God, according to Philippians chapter, to, uh, chapter 1, God, I come and I bind confusion. I ask that you remove confusion on lives. God, I ask that you remove compromise on lives. God, I pray over their lives today that you would help us to abound in love that we would grow in knowledge and discernment. Yes. God, that we would stay pure, and God, we would know how to judge what is right and what is appropriate, and God, that we would live right and live appropriate, that we would make an impact on this nation, on our culture as we understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so the first one again was that relevant life mean, means understanding the times. The second thing it teaches us is understanding what to do with those times. Okay, so it's not only understanding the times, it's understanding what to do with them. So by raise of hands, how many people in here before have asked yourselves, like, why was I born in the time period I was born in? Right, anyone? What about uh, why was I born in the family I was born in? Anyone? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I never thought that. Um, why was I born in the country I was born in? Anyone? Uh, why wasn't I born with that ability or opportunity? Anyone? You're like, man, I wish I had that. Yeah, I think these are, these are natural human thoughts, natural human pathways of thought that I think all of us at times tend to think through, right? We tend to think what could be versus what is. And what I want to challenge us with today is God doesn't make mistakes, God doesn't, doesn't make accidents. God does not do things um, without forethought. And so the reality is, is this type of thinking, it's not bad. It's always good to evaluate. But we have to make sure we, we, we are, are couching it with a, certain, with a certain perspective. See, we may, not all, um, we may not all get a choice of where we were put, but we have the, like, the choice of what we're going to do with it. And I want you to all walk away to understanding it was, not by mis- it was not by mistake that you were put in the time period that you were put in. It was not my mistake that you were given the giftings and abilities and things you could do that, that you were given. And the reality is, is the more time you spend thinking, why was I given this versus what can I do with it, you end up missing opportunity to do something with it. And Paul said in Ephesians 2, he, he said, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, you were allotted the time and the person that you are. You, you are. So you're not like a 2K, like my career mode player that you can like select all your strengths and build them up. No, that's not like, that's not how life works. God was the the creator. He built you and you have to roll with it. And so what I want you to recognize is like, I just want to run through Moses born in a time where Hebrew children were being killed. God placed him there for a reason. Moses purposely survived. He delivered the Israelites. The prophets of the Old Testament were born in the time periods they were born in for a specific reason. The men born in the first century that walked with Jesus were born there for a specific reason. The people that were born and lived through the Great Depression, God allowed them to be there with a purpose. The people born in this room right now that have been walking in the midst of a culture that's pursuing personal freedoms and personal truth and your truth's more important than my truth and 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 the pandemic we were born here for a reason and so rather than second guessing it or wishing differently we have to go i have responsibility in that see the reality is we may not get a choice on what time we were given or the time we were placed in but we do get a choice on what we do at that time and so i believe our text shows us what to do at this time so first chronicles chapter 11 says all israel came together to david at hebron and said the lord your god said to you you will shepherd my people israel and you will become their ruler these are the numbers of men armed for battle who came to david at hebron to turn saul's kingdom over to him as the lord had said so again recap this nation divided after a civil war, and in many ways, like, I think we read over stuff like this, read over context, and we don't put ourselves in it. Like, just picture our nation. 
Picture our nation divided. These men found themselves in a time of unrest and not normal times. But they didn't get a choice on whether they were put there or not, but they made a choice of what to do with it. And so the question comes, how did they know what to do with it? Simply put, knowing what to do at the times is knowing God's will. Say, knowing God's will. See, and we can deduce that they knew God's will from 1 Chronicles 12, 23, because it says, these are the numbers of men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord said, as the Lord had said. ESV says, according to the word of the Lord. And the chronicler pointed out the fact that those coming to turn the kingdom over to David from Saul were doing so based on God's predetermined and pre-revealed will. They didn't just hope or wish. They knew God had given them this responsibility and they came and did it. And this is a powerful observation. It's one that we all should take into consideration because would not the smartest play in our lives be to, to go to the creator of life itself to figure out his will for the life he created you to live? Like in reality, like why, why don't we spend more time seeking after that? Again, relevant means closely connected to or appropriate to what is being done, right? God being the creator, he knows what's appropriate for the time. And so we have a responsibility to not only understand the times, but to understand what to do in those times. We may not be living in the kingdom of Israel, but Jesus came and he launched a kingdom of God that we may not be physically living in, that we can see this kingdom, but it's all around us. It's in us. It's, it's a responsibility that each of us carry and we're supposed to represent. And so, again, like Pastor Kevin just said, we can either be so heavenly-minded we're no earthly good, so we don't even have our eyes open to the needs of people, and we're going to learn that as the series comes up. Jesus was relevant. He had heaven all over his life, but he was relevant because he paid attention to the earth around him. I'm sorry to say it, but, like, as a Christian myself, a lot of times I don't pay attention to what's going on around me. No wonder people don't like Christians. I mean, let's just let's put, it, put it out there. Why do you think they don't like us? It's not because of Jesus we're carrying inside us, because if they knew the Jesus we were carrying inside us, they would love us. And so we have to accept that. Or we can be so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good, we can completely forget the mission God called us to live out. And so, again, we have to understand the times. We have to understand what to do at the times. And lastly, we have to walk it out. Everyone say walk it out. We see in in First Chronicles chapter twelve, verse thirty-eight, it says all these, all all these were all these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in their ranks. They came to Hebron, fully determined. Everyone say fully determined. Fully determined. Fully determined to make David king over Israel. Fully determined. As we come and we hear and understand, and we know the steps that we're to take. You and I have to move into action. We have to be fully determined to walk out those steps, to walk out what we hear, to walk out what we download from, from the Holy Spirit. This word determined is to have a, to, is to, uh, having made a firm decision and being resolved, committed to not quit. Everyone say committed to not quit. As we look at our culture today, there's a lot of quitters. How many have ever quit something in your life? Can I tell you today, we are called to be determined followers of Christ Jesus. We're, be, we're called to be determined to carry out what God has given us understanding in and is going to give us understanding in, give us knowledge of what to do, and we need to be determined to carry it out. This characteristic that is clearly stated here is this uh, determination to take action, to walk out what they knew was the best course of action. They understood it, they knew it, and they responded. What I am sad about oftentimes in the church of Jesus Christ, in my life as well, we oftentimes understand it. We can read God's word and we can understand it. We can read God's word and we can know what we're supposed to do. But where we fail is where we fail to respond to do what it's asking us to do. We can understand the times. We can even understand what the Bible says. But if we don't act upon the information, we failed. This idea of determination needs to be not just an individual, but a corporate determination. And some of the, what I want to come to is real quickly, three action steps that you and I need to take under, under this action point. First, we need to get on our knees in prayer. I want to ask you, when's the last time that you got on your knees before God and said, God, give me understanding and give me knowledge. Give me understanding and give me knowledge. God, give me understanding and give me knowledge. Can I tell you, that's what the Holy Spirit is there for. Jesus said, I must go, that I can send you an advocate, that you would know and you would understand and you would have power to live. Not only do you need to get on your knees in prayer, but we need to download from the Holy Spirit what he's asking for us to do. We, as believers, need to redeem the Spirit-led life. 
We need to redeem the spirit-led life. No longer culture-led, no longer just Bible-led. I'm not knocking Bible-led, but can I tell you, the Bible and the Holy Spirit are never going to contradict each other. Not emotion-led, not a person-led, but Holy Spirit-led. Third, we need to work with our hands. We need to live it out. We need to make a difference. Samuel Rodriguez says this. Christianity is not primary, prim, excuse me, I skipped down. Christian, uh, right up here. As the enemies of truth and grace continue to project our lives as archaic, intolerant, and irrelevant, you and I are called to shine the light of Christ in a world that's darkened by agnosticism, eclectic spirituality, and moral ambigu- ambiguity. As people of God, we can redeem the narrative of our by our fruit and our actions. That's our challenge. When we look at 1232, when we look at relevant, relevant life, living relevant, it's not just being liked by people. It's not just dressing like people. It's not just having the flash of people. It's not just having the lights and the cameras and all those things. Even though those things are not wrong, do you hear me? They're not wrong, but what's most right is being relevant to Christ and communicating his message, being that people that's going to bring a trans, transference into our culture. So the reality is, like, what do, what do we do with this today? And I hope, like, somewhere this excites you. Like, if you feel purposeless right now, because all of us go through seasons of purpose, purpose, purposeless. Man, I'm having trouble speaking today. Purposelessness. Um, this should give you purpose. And I think it's beautiful because it's applicable to every area of life that you go into. You can always try to understand the times. You can always understand what God wants you to do. And you can always walk it out. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a boss, whether you're someone serving underneath someone over you, whether it's taking care of your parents, like whatever you're doing, whether it's coming to church, everywhere you walk around, this is a purpose. And this is a purpose you're called to live out. And so today in closing, we're going to spend, I would encourage you, we're going to spend the next three weeks giving like really cool examples in the Bible where we believe this three-part process is walked out because we don't want to just give you this process and not show you how it was done. And so the, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at like how, how people in the Bible understood the times, how they walk, like um, understood what God wanted them to do and how they walked it out. But today in closing, just food for thought as you guys leave to kind of ponder this week. Um, first one is, um, for, sorry, four questions, my brain. Uh, first one is, do you realize this is the three-step pattern Jesus lived out and is an example for us? Do you realize this three-step pattern is an example Jesus lived out for us? See, the men of Issachar were not the only ones who walked this out. Jesus actually walked it out as well. And that's why Jesus, born in a manger, come, coming from the runt of the litter, Nazareth and Bethlehem, right? Like, like one, of the, one of the people in the gospel said, like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Jesus did right? This, this guy who, who, who gathered this ragtag group of men and changed the world. This is how Jesus was relevant. It was because he did this. It wasn't because he had um, all, all the right tools in his pocket. It's because he had the Holy Spirit inside of him, and it's because he walked this out. And so he did this by, he understand, by understanding the times. He knew the world was tearing itself apart. The world has not changed since Jesus came, other than there's like a light that every person in the world can have. The world's same, facing the same issues. People are divided. People are, are, are self-absorbed. Like, Jesus knew this. So he came understanding what to do, and that was to heal humanity, right? And then he walked it out. All three steps, he walked it out. And so the reality is that mission is what we're supposed to be walking out today. That's what we are gifted and, 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 and responsible to. God gave us this so that we could do it. And so this means every day you walk around, you're carrying relevant life. Whether you're a part of Relevant Life Church or not, you're carrying relevant life inside of you. His name's Jesus. His name's Jesus. And he's applicable to every situation. Like that's the beauty of relevance. Like relevance gets like, it gets, it gets this idea of, of, of what looks right or what fits the moment in, in, in style choices or wording choices. Jesus is applicable to every single thing. Every hurt you face, every pain in your life, every pain your coworkers going through, you have relevant life living inside of you. His name's Jesus. You just give them Jesus. And that's the beauty of this. And it's why God called us and put us in Salem to be relevant life. And that's why we wanted to put the symbol 1232. We want you to buy a sticker. We want you to buy a sweatshirt. We want you to see this symbol. And we want it to come to your mind. This, this, this vast and deep meaning behind our identity as a community and our identity as believers. Second question to ponder this week is, are you aware of the times that you understand them? 
And let me call, call out the obvious. There's two positions on understanding the times. There's like the obsessive and there's like the normal understanding, okay? When I say um, normal understanding, actually, let's back up. We're gonna go to normal understanding. There's obsessive and there's bury your head, okay? Bury your head. Bury your head is, is a lot of people that are like, I just, ignorance is bliss. I'd rather not know because I don't wanna have to deal with that. That's not a great response and neither is becoming so obsessed that it controls your life. And I'm sorry to say it, but I see a lot of Christians on either spectrum. And I think at times I fall on either spectrum. There's some people I know that are so obsessed that their world is consumed with Kate Brown's actions and what Kate Brown wants us to do. And I'm sorry, but like God put Kate Brown there, so just move on. Like at the end of the day, like you can be obsessed with it or you can be obsessed with what Jesus called you to do. But also at the other time, there's some people that like don't even care what's happening and that's not okay either. How can you be relevant to a world that is led by our government if you don't know what the government's doing? So there's this balance right in between. And what I want you to realize is Jesus didn't bury his head right? He referenced, but referenced the government. He knew about the government, but he also did not live his life consumed with it, nor did his actions follow. He actually broke rules typically against religious leaders, leaders over him. If they, if they dis, they disobey what God had for him. He was so consumed with what God had for him. And so that leads us to the third question. Do you regularly and, um, and purposely seek God's will for how you should respond to what is around you and what you should be doing with your life? Jesus sought God constantly. He had a 40-day fast before he even began his ministry. And then all throughout scripture, we see over and over, over and over again, where he stepped aside by himself and sought God and he's God himself. So he sought himself. Like, just like, let your mind wrestle with that for a little bit. Like Jesus, God himself needed to meet with God. And finally, will you walk it out? Will you walk it out? Jesus's relevance, I'm not talking about worldly relevance. Jesus's relevance cost him his life. And we're not living in a time period right now where our country, where we're losing our lives over our faith. But we, like, no matter how great the world is when it comes to Christianity, Christians will always be ostracized in different ways if they live like Jesus, because Jesus was ostracized. It's just at the end of the day, that's the reality of it. And I love it. Two passages of scripture came to my mind this week. John four thirty four. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Is that your response every day? Are you waking up going, my, my sustenance, my purpose, my meaning in life is to wake up and do the will God has given for me. And finally, um, Luke twenty two forty three says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And in that moment, Jesus had to again lay aside his own desires to go, now I'm gonna do God's will. And so with that being said, you are called to live a 1232 life. Say, I'm a 1232 life. Every day and everything you do, every person you're around, you're supposed to walk out this identity. Would you stand with your stand on your feet with me? Kind of move you to a place of action today, a place of difference. Um, I don't know about you. I I know that in this process of preparing and even communicating today, I still feel attention, and I feel challenged. How many would say that you feel attention, and you feel challenged? Can I tell you, that's what our hope is. Our hope is that you feel that tension, that you carry that tension, that you carry that challenge, because that's what God does in our lives. He stirs us. And today, we want to pray over you. We wanted to extend our hands over you as we do this. And if you would lift your hands kind of in a receptive way, we're going to just ask God to pour his his understanding. God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you called a man of Issachar, a tribe that had this understanding and had this knowledge, and they lived out. They were determined to bring it to pass. And God, today we know in the New Testament world, God, that there are, that you gave us the Holy Spirit to be able to do these things. And God, today we desire to be a people that are spirit-led. God, we ask today, we ask for understanding. God, give us understanding today. Holy Spirit, would you lead us in understanding? understanding of what our world is doing, understanding where we're at, why we're here, what we're doing, understanding our purpose. God, in all those areas, God, where we're seeking and looking, God, that we would have understanding. And not only the understanding, but God, we need the know, the knowledge of how to walk it out. God, we need the knowledge in our individual lives of what we are to do tomorrow. We need the not just the understanding that it's tomorrow or understanding that it's today. We need the knowledge that how to live out today. And God, I pray that you would just, uh, God, that we would not shift into uh, neutral and just allow the day to take us, but God, we would shift into Holy Spirit-led, and God, we would do what you've called us to do. 
God, today in the name of Jesus, I pray a holy determination. God, a holy determination. Uh, God, one that's not going to be thwarted, one that's not going to quit, one that's not going to just fall into discouragement, but God, one that is called of you and is determined to walk out your steps, to walk in obedience to you. God, I pray these things over these people this morning. God, we thank you that you're a God that is always and forever will be relevant. God, you are relevant to every circumstance and every situation, every cultural issue. God, your word speaks to everything that we face in life. God, I pray that you would guide us through your word. God, guide us in how to live. God, in all those topics that we see. And God, we thank you for today. Bless your people in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We hope to see you next week. Don't want to miss this part of the, the next, the second installation of the series. Go buy some, some merch. Uh, and thank you for coming today. We have our prayer team that's coming in the front. If you need prayer, please come let them pray with you. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.